Jack isn't listening at his ears. The volume knob's on the right side. Um, can you hear okay? Okay. No? Well, see, Larry, Moe, and Curly were going to sit up front here from the Silver Sneakers Club, but <laughs> they all stayed back there. <laughs> so, welcome. Um, it's, it's both really exciting and nerve-wracking to do these, and I enjoy doing them. I like seeing everybody. I take my time making you all sit down or asking you to, not making you to. I just enjoy seeing the socializing. That's what this is all about. So today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' parables that's unique to the Gospel of Matthew. And it's the parable of the workers in the field. Um, I wanted to start off with what is a parable. I don't know how many of you have actually ever thought about what a parable actually is. Um, for me, what I came down to is it's Jesus simply using an earthly example or situation to explain a heavenly or eternal truth or a principle. And he uses things that we would understand to explain something outside of our wheelhouse that we just can't fathom. I mean, Paul, a few times, it's a mystery, it's a mystery. It, it, it can get pretty hard. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's weird to read some of these and try to see the dual meanings and how he uses what words and why, because our earth is, our, our social life is pretty simple. I mean, we work, we get up, we worry about ourselves, and just making sure we stay alive, and that's about all the more complicated life usually is. Some people have it worse with, you know, a little more difficult, single parents, people with infirmities, but day-to-day -day life itself isn't that complicated. But when it comes to explaining God and his principles and things of eternity, we have a hard time fathoming it all. It's very foreign, the concepts that seem contradictory to how our society is and how we are raised and what we experience in our lives growing up. It's, there's a lot of things we experience along the way, and it has good and bad impacts on us. And with parables, it's like I said a second ago, there's usually more than one lesson being taught. There's usually at least a duality to it. And the more you study Jesus' words, you'll notice his absolute mastery of words and thoughts and how he deals with people, how he interacts with them. It's uh, all the way down to, you know, the Pharisees trying to trip him up and all that, and they're asking him about paying taxes. He's like, whose picture is on the coin? Give Caesar's what Caesar's. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have got tripped up in their traps. So um, we're going to be going through Matthew 20, 1 through 16. I like hearing pages wrestling and seeing people dealing with it there, so I purposely did not put them on the screens so that everybody's interactive here. Um, give you a second to get there. It's Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. 
This is the parable of the vineyard workers. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wages, which was a denarius, and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around and doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they also went to work in his vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last worker first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do so or to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. As we read this parable in its entirety, the first thing that's noticeable is what seems like unfairness. Like some of the workers, we tend to think of ourselves first and how things affect us. It's a human trait. I personally believe we're born with it. We're born into sin, so it stands the reason for me. We're raised to stand up for ourselves if we're bullied. And as we grow older and experience more life in society, we get cynical and jaded. We see injustice to ourselves even easier. It's uh, Ever have one of those days where it just seemed like nothing was going your way? You know, and um, driving down the street, everybody cuts you off. Your blinker means don't let me in. So, you know, it's that kind of stuff wears on you after a while, and you don't see kindness in people as easy, and that's the cynical and jaded. Where we look, um, it's, I look up at Rich, and it makes me think of the police officers. I know, I knew a couple. And there, there seemed to be a phase they go through. At first, they're out there to do good, and then they see so many bad people that everybody's bad for a while, at least in my friend's experience. And then after a little period of time, he leveled out to where he knew there was good and bad, so he treated everybody as if they were good at first until they proved otherwise. And our tendency to think of ourselves and our life experiences can also skew our views as we read scripture. 
It can make us misinterpret or flat out see what we want. I've done this. I know other people that have done it, and I've heard pastors admit that they had done it when they came back and go, oh, I sort of got that wrong. And you'll hear them from the pulpit explain, you know, at least the humble ones do, the ones that are really trying to work for God. Other, other ones, I don't know what to say about them. And with this parable, there's, there's two immediate views that I noticed. There's the humanistic or secular view of the situation. And then there's the heavenly or eternal view, which is the main point of the parable that Jesus is trying to explain with this story. So if we take a look at these opposing views, as we read the story Jesus is telling, I'm sure more than a couple of us can relate to what seems like favoritism or injustice. I, I put myself in the position of imagine toiling in a dusty, hot field, working very hard out in the sun, covered in sweat and dirt, and then at the end of the day, find out the schlep who rolled in an hour before quitting time was getting the same thing as me. And from the humanistic look, I, I get it. We're, we're programmed to look out for number one. It would, for me, the, what I pictured is if any of us were going for a CEO job or a skilled job that you got a degree for, and you go in for an interview with a company, and there's some pimply-faced 17-year-old coming in for the groundskeeper's job, they interview you both together, they hire you both together after that interview, and then your new boss tells you, well, I'm paying you guys the same thing. I mean, I can honestly say my first response is, is he getting more or am I getting his wage? You know, and that's how we tend to think in things like that instead of grace. Um, we've all experienced favoritism and injustice. Um, you ever had a sibling or a coworker that seemed to get away with everything and you get nailed for the same stuff over and over and over? It happened in my family. My sister was the golden child in ours. And I can remember several situations of me out in the yard on a Saturday, Sunday morning, raking the leaves, edging the lawn, mowing, and then cleaning it all up as my sister sat in the house with my mom playing Uno in the air conditioning. <laughs> and I, I, would, I would call my dad or my mom out on it, and they're, just worry about yourself. And... It, 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 it isn't till my age now that I sort of understand what was going on. It, it wasn't favoritism, you know. It was it was a one-time situation. I can't remember other times of that happening, but I sure remember that one bad one. And it's very hard to extend grace. And you know, if you had anything like that happen to you. How did it make you feel? I mean, have you ever really sat down and thought about a situation and how it made you feel? Even more importantly, how did you react? How did you behave? It's those moments that it's hard to extend grace when somebody hits a button in us and 
puts us into motion. We tend to see justice we work um, before we work our way to grace, if we ever do it all sometimes. Even as Christians, this can take us time just to get there, to forgive someone. Hopefully we do eventually get there, and that's usually through prayer, God using our friend's words, or God flat out convicting us or softening our heart. It's, I don't think we can work that stuff out on our own. And that's why we're all here, is to get us equipped for life. Also, these moments are proof to me that unconditional love is not in our wheelhouse. Without God, it is impossible. And if I'm wrong, somebody raise your hand and show me. I'm not capable of it on my own. These workers are clearly not happy about the situation, and the landowner asks, did you not agree to work for a denarius? I've had a, a similar situation to this, so this this particular sentence really jumped out on me because I had a job where I left a really good job to go to this job I had no experience in. They wanted to start a couple departments there, and I had some experience in what they wanted to do. So it was starting departments from the ground up, working with the fire marshals, everybody. And I did that. I got a big thank you and a bonus that production went up over 400%. $4,000 doors turned into eleven and 12000 doors. I mean, that's a lot of money for a door, and these guys were getting it. And so it came time. They gave us Christmas bonuses, and we got our raises every year. It was part of my contract. And the Christmas bonuses stopped one year. Sort of bummed me, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then one year, they didn't give the annual raises like they normally did in the bonus. And it, it got under my skin, and I started, I mean, my head immediately went to, you gave me a letter. I even went to my boss with a letter. I'm like, dude, you said I brought you up 400%. We went from $1.6 million to seven. You wouldn't be there without me. And I'm all puffed up and haughty, and he's like, well, there's the door. <laughs> and, you know, sometime later, I was sitting there at lunch, and I, I used to read and study and pray on my lunch break. I had an hour, so I'd sit in my car eating Del Taco, doing my thing. And I came across a verse that made me realize it was my choice. It was my choice to be there to work. I agreed to a wage, and it wasn't this verse, but it was, and so I, I was dumbfounded. And then I started feeling bad, and I ended up going back and talking to my ex-boss and explaining the situation to him. I'm like, you know, at the time I was focused on me. I didn't realize it's great I started the department, if you hadn't invested in the employees to run those departments, we wouldn't have made the money. If the sales guys didn't sell, we wouldn't have made the money. So I got it. I got it. And um, he explained at that point, he explained some of the things that were going on behind the scenes and why that happened. And then you feel like a jerk. You know, you totally stuck your foot in your mouth. And I, di I didn't like that at all.
And later on, I got to use that experience with one of my friends who was grumbling about his job. And I got to tell him, you know, what had happened to me. And I'm like, you choose to be here. You agreed to work for them, and you choose to be here. Either you stay or you go. It's on you. So he wasn't super happy about that line, but it did work. And the verse I read that started all that thought process off for me was Matthew 5.37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just a little short sentence. It's amazing how God will rattle your brains to where you're laying trying to go to sleep and this stuff just won't stop. And... That verse is sort of funny now because that's sort of like Pastor Jeff's mantra. And if you don't do something you agreed to, he'll remind you of it. He has no problem reminding you of your yes be yes and your no be no. So back to the parable. Why would the landowner hire multiple times throughout the day, all the way up to an hour before quitting time? Was he kind? He said he was in the parable. That he could be kind if he wanted to. It was his money. Or was he making a point? Unfortunately, it doesn't say. So anything that I would come to would be a guess. And I have no idea. It's just one of those things, and there's several of them in the Bible that just, it doesn't answer. It's not an important factor to the point Jesus is trying to make. I did think about the kind of people that were left there, not hired. And then they got hired so late in the day. They stood there all day, and time and time again, as employers would come, they wouldn't get picked. And so they still stood there and waited. And so it made me think, what what kind of people were they that they weren't picked first? Because yeah, back in those days, if you didn't work, there's a good chance you didn't eat that day. There wasn't. A, it's not like it is now. And so, it, 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 the only word I could come up with for them was, as far as an employer's perspective, they were undesirables. And that, to me, would include the crippled, the diseased, the elderly, convicts, murderers, and, and the likes of that. But the story doesn't tell us that either. That's just my weird brain going off, going, why did they stand there all day? Why did nobody hire them? You know, with people coming through all day. I, I do think, though, that by being there so late, it would be safe for me to guess that they were as desirable as the others first hired. And with everybody that started grumbling, the ones that were first hired that got the job and got the money and complained, much like I did at my one job, I wonder if the undesirables had gotten hired first with human nature when the end of the day came and they got paid, would they have grumbled too or would they have been appreciative? It, it, it's 
societal stuff, just, I love it. I'll sit and go anywhere where there's public people and just watch and see behaviors and who holds doors, who lets doors close in old ladies' faces. I, I just, it, it, it's fascinating to me. So it brings me to the second part of the heavenly part of the parable. What's it really about? What's the eternal truth in it? I think if we read it with no self-interest or feelings of injustice, we just flat out see God's grace. The parable starts with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. And that, that was my clue that, to the eternal perspective that is about grace and God's sovereignty. In our lives, we see Christians that have walked with God their entire lives. We see others like the thief on the cross who makes a deathbed confession and minutes before he dies, he's accepted, he's taken. I think that's God's plan and it's how it's set to work. God has a propensity to give and care for us and it violates our instincts of what fairness actually is. Whoever said being a Christian is easy was way off. (laughs) And I also love how Jesus came and told his parables, especially this one, to just obliterate our understandings and attitude about what what's right or fair. It isn't always what it appears. It could seem unfair to you, but we don't know the other person's situation and why God did what he did. My thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. That's one thing that we're told, and you just got to keep that in mind. Also, the landowner told them they, they didn't, not to be jealous of the others. That was another clue for me. And it's true, no Christian has the right to feel jealous of what God has given to other believers. God's been more than generous with all of us. Look at our past lives. Yet he loves us and gave us salvation, and it's guaranteed by his own words. Just like the wages of the last worker hired did not match his labor, Our lives and our misdeeds do not match the gift of God giving his own son to save us from eternal death. That was a hard sentence to write. So when you're feeling a little uppity and self-righteous, remember those words, we would not have salvation if not for God's grace and love. When I was younger, I went to church with a girlfriend, and we went in there. I was there about 20 or 30 minutes, and I had one of the guys that just spoke and an usher or two come over to me and pull me aside and ask me to leave. I was not saved. I was not doing anything disruptive. I was sitting there listening. My girlfriend wanted to go, and I just went with her. And when I asked them why, 
They said it was because my clothing and my hair were disruptive to a few of the congregants. That's what I looked like. Yeah, and um, so that, that left a mark on me. I went out. <laughs> Thanks, Rainier. And um, it left a mark. You know, I went out and sat in the car. Of course, my girlfriend was having a great time, so she stayed in, and I waited out in the car until it was all over. And it was about 20 years before I stepped into a church again, because in my head, that was church. And I get it how people can be easily hurt by one misstep. If the actual pastor of that church would have known about this, he probably would have flipped his gourd. But I didn't know that. I didn't understand how it all works and how many volunteers are in a church and all that. I, good luck on you on juggling all that, you know. Um, it was probably about 20 years later. Michelle, my wife, um, over there playing with all the kids right now, I'm sure. We were getting, I believe, one of our kids dedicated. I didn't go. I didn't do that. Um, I didn't go to church. She did. I had no problem with her taking our kids and going and her mom and dad went, and then afterwards we would all go to her mom and dad's after church and have lunch. And so one of our kids was getting dedicated, and I was asked to go. I met the pastor of the church, Pastor Paul Risser, who was a mad genius at grabbing souls. And he found out I played guitar, so he was like, hey, you know, we need somebody. Can you can we come up to family camp and, and play? And I'm like, sure, you know. So then I was doing Wednesday nights, then I was doing Wednesday nights and Sundays, and then I was doing just Sundays. And it took n not even a year, and I was saved at 38. And so if my wife hadn't have pushed me into going, and Pastor Paul wouldn't have had the heart he did, to take a full-on heathen, there was no misunderstanding where I stood. But he brought me in there, put me in the environment, and, and worked it very subtly. This guy was so, man, he could have been a used car salesman. <laughs> but what he did was he showed unconditional love for where I was at. And this parable shows us that God has ultimate say of who and how people get brought into his flock. I think I jumped ahead there. No, I didn't. This parable shows us that God has ultimate say of who and how people get brought into his flock. And I don't say that in a Calvinistic way. He doesn't pick and choose, and I know that for a fact because of John 3.16 my favorite verse that I think is so underutilized and not understood. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That includes everybody. We're all whoever's. 
the person cutting you off on the freeway is a whoever. The person who cuts you off and gives you the international sign of displeasure, that's a whoever. Um, some of the homeless around here you see that you just go by constantly. They're whoever's. All of the recovery houses around here, they're all whoever's. They might not be the way we want them to be, but to God, they're whoever. And this is what Jesus is explaining here. It doesn't matter if you follow God a lifetime or for 15 seconds before your final breath on earth. It's God's system. We as humans are constrained by our time and matter who struggle to understand how God works when it's actually so simple that we have a hard time believing it because it can't be that easy. It is. And that, you know, once again, I'll bring up John 3.16. He loves all of us so much that he gave his son to provide salvation to whoever believes. And I can't stress that enough. We overcomplicate it with our 20-letter words and a mind-numbing amount of theological terms and all the Christianese words we use. But it is that simple. And then, you know, we argue over minutia. If it's not salvational, it doesn't matter. If, if the worship style offends you, guess what? Are you there for God or are you there for a concert? If you don't like the speaker speaking, are you there to hear God's word or are you there to watch your favorite person speak? And, and so we, we just got to be really careful about overcomplicating it and causing potholes where they're not needed. Whoever's societally, it includes everybody, like I said, the homeless, but it also includes doctors, lawyers, politicians, criminals, gang members, murderers, people in the military. We've got a few in there right now. One's one was up in Lone Pine having fun on mountain warfare, and yes, it even includes your beloved DMV workers. <laughs> they are whoever's. So the next time you go in there and they frustrate you and burn five hours of your day, just remember the bigger picture. This thing just jumped on me. can have the worship team come up. Last week we had baptisms, and I'm sort of bummed Tom ain't here, but did you notice the variance of the whoever's that came up? We had an 80-year-old dude, deathly afraid of water, heart of gold, and to give you the shirt off his back. We had young women. We had young men. We even had a preteen. They come up to proclaim that they're a whoever. And I, I, it was very cool to see that. I wish we got to do that a lot more. And I know you're working on it. 
So the bottom line is, it doesn't matter when you come to belief, doesn't matter how long you have followed or served God, doesn't matter what your history is, thank God. When it's, That's a huge deal to me because of getting saved so late in life. I got told of the, what the odds of that are. I don't remember if it was you or Pastor Lee, but it, it, they're pretty dismal. And I know where I was at. I know all of us have our stuff in the past, but I know where I was. And, I mean, the picture that was up, everything that goes with that lifestyle was there. So I was pretty thankful. He took me as I was, a huge, disgusting, gross mess. And he didn't wait till I cleaned up or chased him to do that. And I heard somebody once say, well, do you clean a fish before you catch it? And that's sort of how God works. He, he gets you and he'll work you through it. That was probably Pastor Jeff that used that one. <laughs> Anything to do with fish, I'll just eat. Probably got the little Jesus fish copyrighted. So, so if you're sitting here right now and haven't made a commitment to follow, do it. If God's tugging at you, do it. Remember, it's as simple as whoever believes. God gave his only begotten son to provide you a path to salvation. Jesus gave his life willingly to provide you that path. Don't let this moment slip away and pass you. I almost did. I know Pastor Jeff, Eric, and the elders will be standing at the front and rear of the sanctuary to pray with you or answer any questions you may have. And if anybody wants to rededicate themselves, if anybody has a squabble with somebody that you need to work out and find that grace, come up and talk to them. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you through it. My main goal today was not to be wisdom and knowledge and $50 words and all that. It was just to make sure that you are all um, healthy, short up, and strong. Pastor Eric was talking about it. Their whole thing right now is raising up disciples. And if this entire place becomes strong, solid disciples. You all can go out and make more disciples, and then they will do that, and they will do that, and then maybe more Christians will stand up, speak for right, and we'll have bigger voice. So I just encourage you for that. Pray you all have a blessed week, and thank you.